Happy Mother's Day. Good to have y'all here this morning. We have a, a nice treat. We're going to have um, a panel of ladies um, come and answer some questions that we've we've sent them ahead of time to to mill over and just give us an opportunity to hear from our moms in in our service today. So, if I could go ahead and have those ladies come forward. Okay. Thank you, ladies, for joining us this morning. Miss Mrs. Annie Martin <laughs> is our first contestant. <laughs> She's our first mom to share some wisdom with us this morning. She's married to Waylon, and they have been happily married for 12 years. Together, they have had 65 kids, and they adopted eight of those. So thank you for joining us this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Frankie Neighbors in the middle here is married to Danny Neighbors. She has been an LPN for 31 years. She has eight kids, or between them they have eight kids, 14 grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. And Mrs. Stephanie Massey, her husband is Josh, and they have three children, Bailey and twin boys, Ethan and Jackson. They live in Pineville, Missouri, and enjoy camping, waterfall exploring, and canoeing. And she faithfully serves our children and New Song kids every Sunday. So, Frankie, we'll start with you. Okay. What's been the biggest surprise about motherhood? Um, well, I have actually raised three generations, um, my own children, my grandchildren, and then my youngest. And um, as you get older, it gets easier. Things that was important when you were younger is not so important, whether you have clean dishes or clean floors or, you know, it's not that important. It's just spending time with your children and, and just loving on them. Absolutely. Thank you. Annie, are your children named after anyone? Yes. There are eight. I went through the list earlier. I guess I'll go through again. Um, Gavin Bruce Martin is named after his dad, Waylon Bruce, and, and Waylon was named after his own dad, Bruce. So um, Hannah Marie, her middle name Marie, was after my grandmother, Annie Marie, um, my great-grandmother on my, my grandmother's side. Chloe Perline was after my grandmother, Perline um, Hilburn, and I treasure that name. Chloe actually picked her own name, um, and so I, I treasure that. My grandmother did too, um, but I love it. Um, and I have Tevin Ray, who his middle name is actually a family <laughs> name on my brother's side, um, but I named him after my brother because they are an awful lot alike and an awful lot of honorary. Um, <laughs> And um, we have Delilah, Delilah May, and Delilah's first name came from Waylon's grandmother, um, Mary Delilah, and then Delilah May, both um, my grandmother and his grandmother um, were named Dorothy May, and so we took the middle name May. Um, and Shelby Eileen was, um, her middle name was um, actually my Aunt Joyce's middle name, Joyce Eileen, and what I understand back then you couldn't write on the birth certificates or you know you didn't fill out paperwork you just told the nurse and the nurse did it for you and so they even spelt it wrong so we we spelt it wrong to spell it like hers so um anyway she has the name Eileen and um then Truman Charles Laverne Martin got he got all of them he got a, a way I mean but um Truman was Waylon's uh, grandfather's name on on his dad's side so Truman Martin and um, Charles was his grandmother's grandfather's name on his mother's side, and then my grandfather's name on my mother's side was Laverne. So, 
And then Hib and Blue, he got his name from, um, he, he and my great-grandfather were born on the same day. And, um, and so we were looking for a name that would be fitting for him. And his um, mother's maiden name was Hibben, and so we picked that for him. Stephanie, do you have any children named for anyone? Yes, I do. Um, when Josh and I first found out that we were having twins and that they were going to be boys, um, we knew we wanted to honor the men in our family. So we wanted to give each one of them um, their middle names. And so on Josh's side of the family, the men's middle name is Gregory. So Ethan got Gregory. And the men in on my side of the families, um, their middle name is Ray. So Jackson got the middle name Ray. Um, the first name was not so easy. Um, after a couple of months, uh, Josh and I decided on Ethan, and then close to us giving birth, we were like, oh my goodness, we've got to decide on a name, and um, so we narrowed it down to two, flipped a coin, Jackson won. <laughs> Stephanie, we'll stay with you. What is the hardest thing about being a mom? I would have to say the hardest thing about being a mom is just letting go, um, letting them learn from their mistakes, and trusting that God's going to lead them the way that you know, we want them to. Annie, what's the hardest thing about being a mom? I agree with her completely. Um, knowing when to hold on and how tightly sometimes and, and when to let go, I think that's the hardest part about being a mom. Frankie, what is one thing that you didn't have that you would want for your children? Um, when I was growing up, I my family wasn't in church at all. We didn't attend church, and so I didn't have that church Christ-loving background, and and that's just the one thing I pray for my children and my grandchildren that that they would be raised in church to love the Lord and to serve the Lord with all their hearts, and and that just means the world to me for that. Awesome. Awesome. Annie, what has given you the most joy as a mother? Uh, the the most joyful thing is also probably the hardest thing, which is loving on children who can't be with their biological mom for whatever reason, but whatever reason that is, I know it's a great gift they've given me, and I don't take it lightly. Stephanie, what has given you the most joy as a mother? I should have went first this time. And then. <laughs> um, something that gives me the greatest joy is seeing your kids learn from the things that we're teaching them. Um, you know, seeing them be kind to people, um, to strangers, to ask to pray because their friend is sick, um, and when they ask to be baptized. Last Saturday, my daughter decided to be baptized, and that was a very, very big, proud mommy moment for me. Frankie, can you remember a memorable thing your child said? Something that surprised you, amused you, or impressed you? Um, well, as you all know, I, I work here in Centerton, and um, my daughter goes to school here in Centerton. And so we live in Decatur, so we share a um, ride to school and work every morning. And, and she's in the tween years, you know, that's kind of why I'm kind of trying to shy away from mom and, you know, kind of be a little independent. But I can almost, like, say every morning we listen to KLRC, which is a Christian um, radio station, and, and she'll reach over and grab my hand, and she'll hold my hand all the way to work. and. And um, for me, that's very, very special. That's a mama and daughter time. So awesome. I'm very blessed. That's awesome. 
Annie, what advice do you have for the next generation of mothers as they begin their own families, and what would you wish for them? When I was thinking about this question, I was thinking about the couples that are getting married um, and who've just gotten married, and I really just want to tell you guys to slow down. Um, the moment Waylon and I got married, I wanted to have a baby. <laughs> um, and so that was my concern from the, the moment we got married, but God's going to give you your family when, when he's ready. However, that may be girls. Just enjoy your husbands and enjoy this time. What advice do you have for the next generation of mothers as they begin their own families? My advice would be to eliminate the distractions in your life. Um, you know, put down the iPhone, put down the computers, and take the time to build relationships with your children. Um, that's very important. Um, when Josh and I got married, we moved to Bentonville, and so, you know, for five years we lived here, and recently he asked me to move to Pineville, and I'm like, why? <laughs> There's nothing in Pineville. There's like 500 people, um, but we did it, and we're there, and quickly after moving there we found out that there's no internet there's no cable there's nothing so it's really um, kind of forced us to eliminate those distractions from our life and I can tell you that um, our relationships with our children are stronger because of those distractions are gone so I just really encourage you guys to think about that um, and take advantage of those times that you have with your kids Ladies, happy Mother's Day. Can you all give them a hand? I really enjoy that. We've done uh, the panel interview uh, in the past, and so this year we switch up with different ladies, and uh, I've always enjoyed that. Well, we, um, we are really happy to have you here this year. We, we know um, there's a lot of folks that are away with moms. Some of you have moms close, so... Um, first service, you know, uh, we had quite a few folks, and, and second service a little less, but we know that the important thing today is that we honor moms, and <clears throat> the message I have for today is a little different um, message maybe for Mother's Day. It, it is about a mom from Scripture, but uh, one that's probably not focused on too much. Um, <clears throat> but before I get into that, I, I'll tell you about a mom in recent uh history here just this last year that was caught national attention and you'll probably remember on april 28 2015 when the riots in baltimore maryland were still uh in action over the freddie gray situation uh there's a mother by the name of tanya graham who uh when the riots were going on and she's watching this go down on tv she recognized a young man somehow through a mask and through the hoodie he is wearing that that was her son her 16 year old son so Tanya, Tanya Graham, what she does, she goes down there, locates her son, and commences to grab him by the arm and pull him about 25 to 30 yards while she's smacking him about the ears, pulling the mask off his face, pulling the hoodie down, and giving him a tongue lashing like, like some moms would. Now, now <clears throat> what she didn't know is someone's recording this with their iPhone, and it goes viral and then gets national media attention, and she gets interviewed. Now, she had some critics, and she had some other things, but... But the thing she said was, is I can't afford not to be a strong disciplinarian. I'm a single mom. 
And what's really impressive about that too is her son later interviewed, maybe with her pinching him, I'm not sure, but he says he's really thankful that he, he didn't need to be a part of those riots against the police, Baltimore police, and he's thankful his mom went down there. Now, you know, while she got a little bit of flack from some people about her beating on her son, um, you know what's interesting is she went down there against, this was a race-charged uh, riot. In other words, it was based on the fact between whites and blacks and that, that the police were, were racial profile and that there was a situation that, that, that was heated. And here's this African-American lady who's her mom. I don't care. She's saying, I don't care this is about race. That's my son down there acting like a fool and I'm about to go take care of it. Now think about it, though. She's going against what her, what, what the culture around her, her peers, others, uh, maybe even friends and family, are all a part of this thing, but not her son. And being a single mom, but she wasn't afraid of, of the, the could be physical violence that she encountered, uh, could be danger. And in fact, she just downplayed her role, saying that as a single parent, she had to be a strong disciplinarian. There's an a anonymous uh, quote it says this, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of preacher. And that's the truth, isn't it? Now, my mom and dad were in the first service, and, and this year my mom was on a panel at my sister's church, so they had to leave early. And, um, you know, I, I had to admit that service without incriminating my mom. Uh, There's a few times I got a few slaps about the ears, but that's, I'm thankful for those because anything you see good in me, chances are, is because my mom was a strong disciplinarian. We're going to focus on a passage in 2 Samuel chapter 21 today uh, for this Mother's Day message. 2 Samuel in the Old Testament chapter 21. It's right after 1 Samuel. They're actually in order. So uh, there you go. We're going to talk about a situation that actually took several generations, actually over 400 years in the making, that will will draw our attention to a mom who really shines through in, in this passage. If we were to go back to Joshua chapter 9, we would see the background to this story as, you've, if you remember the account of the children of Israel, God had told them to march around the city walls of Jericho, to shout all the instructions, and the walls came down. And the point is, God is sending them into a land to be their own. So all the oppression and, the, and uh, being under control of other nations, they're finally going to go to this place. It's going to be their own. And when they get to this land, God has told Joshua and the people they are to kill all the inhabitants of the land. So basically it's left just to them. It's their place. And I know sometimes it's hard for us to understand, but in this day and time with war, we can see God's character and nature has not changed. That sometimes it, it takes war to bring about uh, salvation for God's people. But he's told them, go in. Now, here's the deal, though. They have specific instructions, kill everybody. But there's, there's um, these people called the Gibeonites who are from this land, but they decide to do a little bit of trickery. They dress up in older clothes and, and uh, to look like they've come from afar, and they go and approach Joshua and say, we would like to live here in this land with you, and we will serve you, and and uh, he basically strike an agreement with Joshua. But Joshua didn't confirm with God whether this is okay. God had already given instructions. That's probably why he didn't go to him. But they decide, sure, that'd be nice to have some servants, right? Well, then as we fast forward, then uh, King Saul comes into, into um, power. And, and he begins to notice this Gibeonites 
are infiltrating the culture and, and the people and intermarrying and all this stuff going on that he doesn't like. And he begins to reflect back on God's first instruction to wipe everybody out and decides to create a genocide and begin to wipe out the Gideonites. Going against the word of Joshua had already made with the people. See, God doesn't uh, want us to go back on our word. Even though Joshua disobeys the specific instructions, it's too late. He made a deal with these people. As a man of God, he gave his word, and now Saul is going against that and wiping them out. So then Saul later dies, and, and uh, his, his reign was not necessarily one of honor. Uh, in fact, his bones were robbed and taken off, and, and uh, you know, Saul was not someone who left a, a great mark. Uh, when he finished. But, but later what happens is King David comes into power. And King David, uh, they are in, in three years of famine. And King David begins to wonder, why is it that we're in this famine? God must be punishing us for something. And King David goes to God and says, you know, what is going on with this famine? And God says, well, it's because of Saul's disobedience, because of what he's done to the Gibeonites. And once David hears this, he sets out to try to correct this. So he decides to go to the remaining Gibeonites, to their leaders, and say, what is it I can do for you to make this right? And they have a little dialogue, and they, they're like, we don't want money. We don't even want to be released from our, our, uh, our agreement to serve. We want, blood from the, we, want a, we want bloodshed from the bloodline of Saul to correct this. We want seven of Saul's sons. Well, see, here's the thing. King David had already, uh, there is a, a relationship in, in, uh, with one of Saul's uh, sons, and so he couldn't hand over uh, the immediate ones, but King Saul had a um, <clears throat> concubine named Rizpah. Now, I didn't mention this in the first service, but Rizpah, actually, the meaning of her name is like a hot stone or a hot coal. And how many knows uh, what it's like when you get a mama fired up, right, about her kids? Well, so King David agrees to bring these seven sons or seven uh, from the line of King David. So in this passage in Second uh, Samuel 21... The Gibeonites said to him, It's not a matter of silver or gold between us, Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he said, What do you say that I shall do for you? And they said to the king, The man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should not have a place in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord at Gilbeth and Saul the chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. So he spares Meshibbeth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them. So between David and Jonathan, uh, the, the son of Saul. So he has this oath with Jonathan. He can't do it. But Rizpah, you got to think of this. She is a concubine. She didn't come into relationship with Saul because she was royalty. She didn't come into relationship with Saul because she chose to marry Saul. She's a concubine. She was likely bought or traded for, or through conquest, she becomes Saul's and bears two children by him. So when you look at this, this lady, Rizpah, this mom, all she has are these two sons. 
Saul's dead. He's disgraced. His bones are, are robbed and they've been hung up. There's all kinds of things going on over, over Saul. And so she's really alone. Saul's not there to protect her anymore. She's not tied to a king as such. She has two sons to show for what she went through with Saul. And these two sons are to be put to death. In verse 10 it says, And Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. This is where her sons were, were what well, says hung, seven of them, two of them hers. They're hung, but in that time it wasn't a hanging like with a rope and a noose. This is probably impalement on a sharp object and left for the animals to devour. So this is a horrible death. So she's, she goes out where this, where this um, uh, execution has taken place and she uh, takes up the sackcloth and spreads it for herself on the rock. So she's setting up camp near the remains of her two dead sons. It says, from, from the beginning of the harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. This is about five to six months that she's out there. And keep in mind, this is likely the hot part of the year. Now, I know Mother's Day, we're going to go eat with mom's stuff, so we're not going to get into the gory details. But just so you know, the, her dead son's spirit there left, and it's a hot part of the day. So she's seeing all the morbid and, and terrible things happening to their sons that happen to their, their corpses as she's there. Five to six months. It says, And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beast of the field by night. This mom, who the only thing she had, she lost her sons. But to her, I'm still mom because there is still a chance that they be honored. And I'm not letting those birds, those buzzards, pick apart their, their decaying bodies. I'm not letting the animals at night come and take them. I'm going to honor them. And she sets up camp and stays there. Now keep in mind, nobody else is coming out there with her. Five to six months. Surely people know she's gone. They know the story. But she's out there by herself. Fighting off probably hyenas and jackals and all those things that come at night and the buzzards during the day. Then it says in verse 11, when David was told what Rizpah and the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square of Beth-Sharam when the Philistines had hanged them, hanged them on the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gilboa. So here's Saul's bones, who he's disgraced as a king. His bones are not buried in a place of honor. And because of what Rizpah does, Saul go, or David goes and gathers these bones of both Saul and of Jonathan. And then it says, and then he brought the, up the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan, and they were gathered and they gathered the bones of those who were hanged. These are seven, the seven boys, including Rizpah's uh, two. And they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin and Zelah in the tomb of Kish, his father. And they did all that the king commanded. And after that, God responded to the plea for the land. You see, this is a story of tragedy. She loses her two sons. She loses them, but, but to her, there's still an opportunity to honor them. And in this day and time, what we're seeing in our nation, there's people who are giving up on this next generation. They're saying they're too far gone. They're too, they're too uh, um, into every controversy. They're into stirring things up. There's riots and all these things done, and people are ready to write them off. 
But we see here where a mom who says, you know what, it doesn't matter what my sons have done because see, there's some who say the fact that these sons were chosen, more than likely Saul, his descendants, those would be living when they were doing this genocide, would have been involved in some way. If they weren't carrying out physically themselves the genocide, they were involved in leading those who did. And so they believe that the reason that they, these uh, Gibeonites asked for those seven sons, or at least the line, because they're going to make sure the house of Saul, those that remained, were going to pay the price. And so this mom says, you know, uh, I'm sure she's out there thinking, what could I have done different? Maybe when Saul was alive, if I'd pushed harder for my sons to not be a part of, uh, of all his dealings, maybe if I'd done this, maybe if I'd done that. But she doesn't stop there and, and feel sorry for herself. She goes out and takes her last opportunity to bring honor to her sons. And we're in a time when we need moms who won't give up because of the way the culture's going. That will go against the culture and say, you know what? My office, my job as a mom that God has given me transcends anything that's going on in the culture. It doesn't matter if my son's out there rioting. I'll go slap him about until he gets some sense in him. It doesn't matter if my son's uh, sin has brought him even to death. There's still a chance for my family to be honored because God has placed me in this office of mom. So at the end, here it is. Even King Saul, who his bones have been turned across, this mother, yes, this, this concubine, is the reason why not only her sons, but the others, and Saul himself and Jonathan, are all buried in a place of honor. We need moms who will stand up for honor these days. We need moms who will, who will stand up and be honored by their kids. It's sad, but, but the truth is, is that the moms who think they're being best friends with their kids and letting them get by with anything are just ruining them. Their kids are not going to honor them uh, when this is all said and done. They're going to despise their mothers for not bringing the correction that they needed. But here she was. Can you imagine? No one else is out there. Five to seven months, she does this only to see an honorable burial for her sons. And Rispa is not talked about much. You know, you don't hear a lot of messages about Rispa. You don't hear a lot about her. She didn't do it to get some recognition. She didn't th think about her story being written. All she knew was, while I still have an opportunity to be their mom, I'm going to be their mom. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in the midst of our mothers in this church. God, we thank you for moms all across the body of Christ, believers in every church. We pray that, Lord, you'd encourage them to stand up, uh, to, to bring honor to their family, Lord. Bring glory to you, Lord, that you may be glorified through it. Lord, give them the courage in this culture to go against uh, those things in the culture that would, uh, would shy them away from uh, standing up against uh, the things that harm their children. And Lord, we pray for your strength and your grace. Lord, help us as fathers, Lord, to honor those mothers, those that are raising our children, those that raised us. And today, Lord, let it bring honor and glory to you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.